Remembering the victims of the brutal hate crime in Pittsburgh, how Vancouver's Jewish community is coming together, and what we know about the alleged killer. I thought eventually they'd just get weak and I wouldn't hear them crying up there anymore and they would just die up there. So I'm so grateful to you guys. And two puppies just weeks old left stranded on a cliff in Mission. How they were found and what happens now. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. Well, the Coquihalla Highway, a nightmare for drivers once again. Heavy snowfall and a crash between uh, the stretch between Hope and Merritt, uh, shutting it down. It is now open again. But as our Jordan Armstrong now reports, uh, the season's first snowfall uh, catching a lot of people by surprise. Jordan. Sonia did, and if you were lucky, the Coquihalla was a slow go because, as you mentioned, for about three hours today, the highway was a no-go, shut down in both directions, and here's why. Highway 5 was hammered by snow overnight, which was in the forecast, but the Ministry of Transportation claims it was caught off guard by the amount. By mid-morning, the compact snow and slushy conditions had triggered a number of slowdowns and at least one northbound collision, and it was decided to close all lanes between Merritt and Hope. Adding to the chaos, there was an electrical problem with the chain-up warning lights. So for several hours, many truckers did not know that chain-up conditions were in effect. The first official day of winter may be nearly two months away, but it's already arrived in the mountains. Big problem for uh, plow trucks is that the trucks are spun out and blocking the road or vehicles, even you know automobiles, without without chains or without tires. And then the uh, plow trucks can't do their job. So. The tow truck guys who are working on the Coquihalla here are working hand in hand with highways and the plow truck drivers. I've been uh, truck driving and uh, for 45 years and I'm down to my last year and then I'm going to retire and uh, this is my last winter, thank God. The good news, no serious injuries reported on the Coquihalla. The highway fully reopened just before 2 o'clock this afternoon. Sonia. All right. Jordan, thank you very much uh, for that. Now, just to make sure everybody is clear on what's expected in the forecast ahead for the Coquihalla, let's bring in our meteorologist, Yvonne Schall. Yvonne, any more snowfall ahead? Yes, we're still seeing some snowfall. We're tracking it for the evening and the overnight, but it is going to taper off. A first look, though, on the Allison Pass. This is the current shot, and the Allison Pass uh, through the overnight and the day today saw upwards of five centimetres. This is what the summit currently looks like, where we've seen a range between up to 10 centimetres of snowfall and the connector is where we've seen anywhere between 10 and up to 20 centimeters. But if you're traveling along the mountain passes, the Coquihalla from Hope to Merritt will still be looking at an additional 5 and potentially up to 10 centimeters. This is this evening overnight. It should taper off, though, by your Monday morning. The Kootenai Pass, 4 to 8. Allison Pass and the mm -hmm. connector anywhere between 2 and up to 4 centimeters. We're still tracking rain and some active weather across the south coast. I'll have your work week forecast and your Halloween forecast coming up shortly. Sonia. All right. Thanks very much for that. We'll see you a bit later. Uh, now to what is being described as perhaps the deadliest attack on the Jewish community in U.S. history. 11 people killed in a brutal hate crime targeted simply because of their faith. The alleged gunman who opened fire in the Pittsburgh synagogue appears in court tomorrow. But today we find out more about the victims that includes a 75-year-old woman from Toronto. Here's Global's Karen Lieberman reporting from Pittsburgh. 65-year-old uh, Richard Gottfried of Ross Township, 97-year-old Rose Mallinger of Squirrel Hill. The names of 11 victims of Saturday's Squirrel Hill Synagogue Massacre are called out one by one. 
Jewish people who went in for Shabbat services and a baby naming ceremony, but never left. Jared Rabinowitz was my physician from for the last almost 40 years. Police say 46-year-old Robert Bowers was armed when he entered the Tree of Life synagogue through an unlocked door. We're under fire. He's got an automatic weapon. He's firing out of the front of the synagogue. Yelling all Jews must die, Bowers allegedly shot and killed eight men and three women. They range in age from 54 to 97. Bowers was armed with multiple weapons. He had three Glock, 357 handguns, and an AR-15 assault rifle. Inside the synagogue, Bowers shot and killed 11 individuals and wounded two others. The FBI is calling it a hate crime. Bowers could face the death penalty for 22 of the 29 charges he faces. The attack prompted stepped-up security at synagogues across the United States. But the mayor of Pittsburgh is brushing off comments by the president that having an armed security guard here might have prevented the carnage. We shouldn't be trying to find ways to minimize the dangers that occur from irrational behavior. We should be working to eliminate irrational behavior. Robert Bowers had been posting anti-Semitic messages on social media. Just minutes before the massacre, he apparently posted to Gab, a fringe website popular with white supremacists. Can't sit by and watch my people get slaughtered. Screw your optics, I'm going in. I've been inside my whole life and, uh, and I certainly know many, many people there. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's right here. Molly Butler brought her young children out to thank the first responders. Four officers were among the injured. We couldn't write notes yesterday. It was our Sabbath, but we obviously are so grateful that it wasn't any more tragic. Thank you for keeping the Jews in my neighborhood safe. Karen Lieberman, Global News, Pittsburgh. Well, people from all faiths uh, coming together in Pittsburgh uh, for vigils today, trying to make sense of what's happened. Here in Vancouver, a special vigil organized by the Jewish community. That is where our Paul Johnson is, outside the Jewish Community Center. Paul. Sonia, a massive overflow crowd today here at the Jewish Community Center in Vancouver to remember those murdered yesterday in Pittsburgh. As far away as this is from Pittsburgh, there were a surprising number of connections that we heard about between these two communities. Uh, the first rabbi to speak today talked about his roots in Pittsburgh and how he travels there frequently and how this has affected him. Several members of B.C.'s Legislative Assembly were here and a message was read from Premier Horgan and some of them took part in the candle lighting ceremony that they had here. Coping with a tragedy like this is sadly something the Jewish community is accustomed to. If anti-Semitism was declining, that would at least be something that they could take heart in. But among those people we talked to today, they don't see many reasons to be hopeful. In a way, things are getting worse. Uh, things were much better when I was growing up. I've had very few experiences when I've uh, of sort of an anti-Semitic kind of thing. Uh, but here we go. 
to think that someone goes to a place of worship and gets gunned down by an assault rifle and a guy carrying three Glocks as well is, is just ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> this is the 21st century. It shouldn't be happening. There's been recurrence throughout Europe, uh, white supremacy, all kinds of movements which indicate to me that it hasn't improved, no. If you feel like you would like to do something to remember this tragedy, there may be another opportunity in the Vancouver area. We're hearing about a vigil that may be scheduled for UBC for Tuesday at 4 o'clock. We'll pass along any more details. we hear about that. Sonia? Paul, thank you very much uh, for that tonight. Now the alleged shooter faces his first federal court appearance tomorrow. 46-year-old Robert Bowers, a resident of Pittsburgh who didn't live that far away from the synagogue he walked into. Neighbours today saying they had no idea they were living next door to somebody filled with so much hate. This is Ron Mott. Alleged synagogue shooter Robert Bowers grew up in this area, attending a local high school. In recent years, leaving an unremarkable impression on his neighbors. Quiet, though not unfriendly, they say. A truck driver who kept odd hours, a stark contrast to what we know about him tonight. I saw his photo and I said, that's my neighbor. Neighbors say Bowers offered no hints about the bloodshed he's accused of unleashing. Kerry Owens was his next-door neighbor for the past two years. How upsetting is it to know that you live next door to the guy who's being charged it, with this? It's very upsetting knowing that someone that had that much hate was on the other side of my wall. Officials suggested a possible motive in the horrific attack. There's no indication that uh, he's working with anyone else, and so we have charged it and are treating it as, as a hate crime, but continue to investigate. Authorities raided Bower's apartment in the southern Pittsburgh suburbs, sweeping for any signs of explosives. Bower's social media activity also will be heavily scrutinized. He used the social media site Gab.com and in one post uploading a picture of three handguns. It's unclear if they are the same guns used Saturday. Bowers also visited this home in a nearby community so often, some thought he lived here and say he kept to himself. It's sickening. It did really is sickening. He'd come out and smoke and that would be about it. There was no highs, no buys. Well, back in BC, Vancouver police are asking for your help tonight to find a missing senior who has dementia. 84-year-old Barbara Mumford was last seen at 8 o'clock this morning near her home at Main and East 29th Avenue. VPD saying she may appear lost or confused. Now she is described as being 5 feet 2 inches with grey shoulder length hair and fair skin. She is known to go to stores and restaurants along the Main and Fraser Street corridors. If you do see her, please call 911 and do stay with her until first responders are there. Delta police not providing much information about a serious accident that happened overnight. A part of River Road was closed to traffic for several hours as officers investigated the scene. Police were called just before 11.30 last night. A charter bus was involved and it did appear that a body could be seen lying on the ground. A by-election has been called by the Prime Minister today, but it is in Ontario, not for Burnaby South, where the federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh is looking to win a seat in Parliament. Our Keith Baldry is following this story for us tonight. Keith, uh, when a by-election is finally called, I'm sorry, I will ask you that a bit later, but just tell us what happened, first of all, on this. 
Well, there's rumors abound, uh, Sonia, for some time, ever since the Fed started uh, having spending announcements in Burnaby South, that the by-election was imminent. Uh, but today, uh, Justin Trudeau, the prime minister, called a by-election, as you mentioned, in the Southern Ontario riding, but no word of Burnaby South. So uh, young New Democrats and some MPs took to the old-fashioned Burma-shaving uh, uh, political uh, routine where you try to get uh, the public's attention, a motorist attention, about a by-election they want called sooner than later to get their leader, Jagmeet Singh, who doesn't have much profile at all, into the House of Commons, which would give him some profile that he needs with an election just uh, less than a year away. We caught up with U.S. Uh, MP Peter Julian, who makes the case for the Prime Minister to call that by-election as quickly as possible. Uh, Mr. Trudeau was supposed to call it this morning, and instead, uh, in an unprecedented and pretty petty and manipulative decision, is calling only one and not calling the three other ridings that are vacant, including Burnaby South. And uh, so we're calling on Mr. Trudeau to call the by-election, stop playing around, call the by-election in Burnaby South. People in Burnaby want to have their say. All right, so that's what we know so far. Now, when there is a call for a by-election in that area, is Jagmeet Singh still favoured to win? Well, it's a traditional NDP uh, riding. It's not a super strong one, but Kennedy Stewart, the new Vancouver mayor, won that riding by a little more than 550 votes in, in 2015. Not a huge amount. Uh, the Liberals came very close there, but I think that was partly riding the Justin Trudeau mania wave. Uh, so I think he still has to be considered the favorite to win that seat if and when that by-election is called. Of course, there is a theory out there that the Liberals want him in the House because he's not exactly lighting the House on fire when it comes to personal popularity. So uh, Jagmeet Singh doesn't have a lot of profile, not a lot of uh, spike in the ratings, but I think he needs to get in the house as soon as he can. All right, Keith, thanks very much uh, for the lowdown on that one tonight. Thank you. Now to a major rescue operation in a rural area of Mission today. Two puppies, only weeks old, uh, could be heard crying for days on a cliff. People went on social media calling for a rescue to be launched. As our Grace Key now reports, those calls were finally answered by the local search and rescue team, even though rescuing animals is outside their mandate. For the last four days, mission neighbor Emma Wilford has heard the sounds of two dogs whimpering up on the hill behind her home. It is good news that you can still hear them. Just breaks my heart though listening to that. They've got pretty good like visual marker or an idea of where they are. Mission Search and Rescue answered the call to rescue the dogs made up of volunteers. They aren't actually mandated to rescue animals. With our sanctioned body, um, they will allow us to rescue dogs but only cover injuries for our people. It doesn't cover anything for any lost items or damaged goods or the gas we use in our vehicles, that kind of stuff. Just requesting radio checks. Fifteen volunteers headed up the rugged terrain. The dogs are believed to be stuck on a bluff, so the plan is to use a rope system to reach the animals. So our first teams are down on the lower bluffs. With rescuers on the way, the only thing neighbours could do now was stand back and wait. I hope they just keep crying so that search and rescue can pinpoint where they are and find them. Let's see these little bugs. And a couple of hours later, rescuers returned with what turned out to be two puppies snuggled in their jackets. Describe where they got stuck. I think they probably fell to where they were because they were about about mid height on a on a thirty foot cliff. They actually fell, and we like we were holding out a jacket, and they just fell right into the jacket. Okay, mile walk from discharge. 
Believed to be 16 weeks old, the two female St. Bernard crosses were in good health. They don't have a lot of fat reserves on top of them to keep them warm. It was really a good thing that they were able to get to them in time because, again, uh, there's not a lot of insulation on those guys. Just who these dogs belong to and how they got off the cliff is a mystery. They'll be taken for a more in-depth examination and then handed over to the SBCA. And if an owner doesn't come forward, they'll be up for adoption. Grace Key, Global News. Welcome back. Well, we could all be paying more for vegetables this spring, and that is because of the pipeline explosion that happened earlier this month. You might remember it was on October 9th, and Enbridge natural gas pipeline ruptured. The company hoping to have it back in service by mid-November, but the pressure in that line and in a smaller pipeline nearby uh, will remain below maximum levels until spring. Fortis BC saying that the natural gas supply will be reduced by 50 to 80 percent this winter. The BC Greenhouse Growers Association saying any higher costs of using alternative fuels or spikes in gas prices will be passed on to customers. They're also saying their members need a guaranteed constant supply of gas for their crops. So far the last I've heard is that they're going to be dropping uh, their capacity by 50% and under a cold winter situation that would leave us um, with many times where we're going to be having to essentially switch off our gas which is very impractical or undoable for many of our growers. If they're suggesting curtailing five, six, seven times in a winter season that becomes very um, undoable for our industry. Our members and those selling our products will be looking to recover their increased costs. So certainly they'll, they'll be putting the prices up for product. But on the other hand, we also export a lot of our product. And so when we go to the table with our prices, our competitors won't have those prices. They don't have the higher input costs. And so it's maybe instead difficult to find local product because we can't sell at those, can't get the sale at the higher prices. Kamloops is already home to the first government-run pot store. Now the CC could also be the first to welcome private legal pot shops. Kristen Robinson reports. Chris Life is unlocking his dream with plans to renovate this commercial space into the Shore Cannabis Shop. We'll have a large display case coming down here with a variety of uh, sniff jars. It's a great opportunity that doesn't come along too often in a generation. So for us to be a part of uh, uh, this historic time is very exciting. Life is one of two private retail cannabis applicants before Kamloops City Council Tuesday. If his license is approved, he plans to run a family weed business, selling flowers, oils and seeds. We're not trying to be the big fancy store. Kamloops welcomed BC's first government-run cannabis store on legalization day, and the city's proactive pot stance can also see it become home to the province's first private legal weed stores. Yeah! Lemon skunk! The annual cannabis business license fee, $5,000, compared to more than 31000 bucks in Vancouver. A number of communities, now that the local government elections are over, have indicated that they are moving uh, on approval of cannabis stores. We'd like to stick with the, the proper way to do things. I have no comment about Nextdoor. Nextdoor, an illegal dispensary still operating. Its supporters launching a petition against Life's plans to set up shop legally. So you do it slow, you do it right. 
It's expected Kamloops will support the two private pot shops. It'll then be up to the province to give the final ganja green light. I'm uh, honoured and humbled to, to uh, represent all those uh, cannabis pioneers of the past to bring it to this point where a private retailer can legally sell cannabis. Kristen Robinson, Global News. All right, Chanel and Yvonne here with sports and weather. Um, it's, let's start with weather, Yvonne. It's been <laughs> miserable out there. Yeah, and it's a mixed bag because we showed the snow at the top of the show. We've seen rain on and off, depending where you were across Metro Vancouver today. There was a bit of a break in the action, especially for the early morning hours. But I wanted to show you the satellite and radar, and I've taken this loop over the past six hours, and we did have some lightning strikes uh, pushing through the area, eastern sections and stretching into the Fraser Valley. Still have a risk of a thunderstorm for the early evening hours. We're still tracking that snow for the interior and our all-important Halloween forecast will be coming up very shortly. All right. We're looking forward to that, especially those of us who are parents. We're going to take kids out. It's very interesting. <laughs> but you go out trick-or-treating as well, don't you? I, I go to supervise. Make oh, sure do? there's no... Uh, <laughs> Just in case you see you knocking there. on your door. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wouldn't be hard. But check I'm the asking. candy. Check the candy. That's right. Check in the candy. Check the candy. That's right. Uh, a big day uh, for Vancouver Sports. Uh, one of the uh, all-time greats in uh, Vancouver soccer calling it a career in Vancouver. Alfonso Davies playing his final game in a Whitecaps uniform. And what a way to go out. He's scoring. He scored a couple of goals. We'll show you the highlights here from Davies. Uh, also an update on the Canucks. More with the injuries. Uh, another one uh, biting the dust. We'll tell you who's out for a couple of weeks. And uh, the Seahawks uh, winning this morning in Detroit. Highlights from that. A very big uh, win for that uh, team. Welcome back. Well, today we've learned about a Canadian connection to the Pittsburgh Synagogue Massacre. One of the victims, 74-year-old Joyce Feinberg, who grew up in Toronto and was married at a Toronto synagogue. She was among three women and eight men who've been killed. Now more on the other lives lost. When there's a death in the Jewish community, families remember the dead by sitting Shiva. It's going to be hard without him. It's a tradition Stephen Holly has endured twice in the past month. First for his father, and now for his uncle, Daniel Stein, murdered yesterday at the Tree of Life Synagogue. Funny, loving, caring, family man. This time, he's grieving with a community left shattered by one of the deadliest attacks on Jews in U.S. history. Being with family and friends, I think that's the most important. Among the 11 dead, a married couple and two brothers, David and Cecil Rosenthal, pillars of this synagogue, despite their intellectual disabilities. He was somebody who was a part of the community. Um, Cecil would always tell me that they let him carry the Torah. David DeFelice, a senior at Duquesne University, met Cecil Rosenthal through a program called Best Buddies. I went to services and Cecil, he had um, his talis on and he carried the Torah around the room. And basically, what he would carry the Torah around and everybody would go and kiss it. And that was his job. He was a big, strong guy. He was able to hold, support the weight of it. A weight the survivors of this community say they'll keep carrying. I'm not going anywhere else. Pittsburgh is home. I'm glad you feel that way. No matter what. Matt Bradley. NBC News, Pittsburgh. 
It has been confirmed that the owner of an English Premier League soccer team was among the five people killed in a helicopter crash near the team's stadium on Saturday. Tyborn Vichai Srivadana Prabha owned Leicester City Football Club. He was killed along with two members of his staff, the pilot and a passenger. His chopper going down in a parking lot outside the stadium and then bursting into flames. It had taken off from the pitch shortly after the match with West Ham United. Um, lots of fire engines. As we came out, my nephew had been running up the street. He was in a real state of shock. Said he'd seen the, this helicopter spiralling out of control, drop within a second and just burst into frame. He was so upset. We're, we're all thinking of the owners, what they've done for us here. Which, it's terrible news for us. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex have received a traditional welcome on their arrival in New Zealand. That's their final stop on their 16-day tour of the South Pacific. The hacker being performed by members of the New Zealand Defence Force. At Government House in Wellington, the Duchess congratulated New Zealand on becoming the first country in the world to allow women to vote. We are proud to be able to join you tonight in celebrating the 125th anniversary of women's suffrage in your country. The achievements of the women of New Zealand who campaigned for their right to vote and were the first in the world to achieve it are universally admired. Well, it might have been cooler and obviously very wet and out there, but it didn't stop hundreds of racers from taking part in an annual run around Stanley Park this morning. Three, two, one, go! The James Cunningham Seawall Race has been going since 1971. It's actually a nine and a half rather than a 10K, as that is the actual distance, <clears throat> excuse me, of the seawall. The event is named in honour of James Cunningham, a Scottish stonemason who made construction of the seawall his life's passion. The race medals featuring an image of the man himself. Great when people get out there for charity and they don't care about the weather, Yvonne. Yes, and yes. they managed to see a few breaks for a few people that were running this morning. So that was good news, uh, but congratulations to everyone who completed the race today. Right now we are tracking some rainfall. It's heavy at times, a band across the island. This is what's pushing across Metro Vancouver to remain unsettled. And for the morning commute tomorrow, we're still hanging on to some rainfall. More in just a moment. Our tower cam shot this evening showing us that rain report of the airport, 10 degrees, a southeasterly wind at 13 kilometers per hour and the high today was at 13. We're still slightly above the average for this time of the year of 11 degrees. This moisture stays as rain across coastal sections but for the interior along the mountain passes still seeing that snowfall heavy at times for the overnight and then tapering off for the morning and early afternoon. Future cast into play the bulk of the moisture still continuing interior sections for the tomorrow morning. There's the snow indicated in purple and in behind it we've got a number of systems and this is what it's going to look like leading up to our Halloween on Wednesday and potentially towards the end of the week. A great shot sent in from Joyce earlier today from Hope Princeton, just near Manning Park, so thank you so much. We do have winter driving conditions and additional snowfall once again. The Coquihalla from Hope to Merritt, 5 and up to 10 centimetres. Kootenay Pass, 4 to 8. Allison Pass, as well as the Connector, looking at 2 and up to 4 centimetres this evening and overnight. Across the province for the piece, fantastic three-day forecast, plenty of sunshine. The winds, though, 
though, ramping up with gusts of up to 40 for tomorrow. White horse tomorrow, a nice dry day, a chance of flurries, though, developing on your Tuesday. Coastal sections remaining unsettled, risk of a thunderstorm tomorrow, and a few spots near the water could get up to 60 kilometers per hour, a dry day once again late on your Wednesday. Caribou and Central Interior, on and off showers for the next two days. You should see a nice break on Wednesday for Halloween. Columbia and Kootenai region, on and off rainfall on Wednesday. The bulk of the rain will be for the morning hours and much drier towards the evening. It'll be similar for the Thompson Okanagan, so great timing for trick-or-treating so far, but it'll be late Wednesday, hopefully by the evening hours. Whistler looking at highs of 6 and 7 degrees, showers for the next few days, and most spots across the island, it'll be a similar weather picture for tomorrow. We're up to 12 degrees as the high, but it's on and off shower. We'll continue to see these waves of moisture. Five-day forecast for Metro Vancouver. Temperatures will dip down to 10 for the overnight. 12 is the high. Tuesday, Wednesday remaining unsettled. And on Wednesday so far, Sonia, be prepared. We could be looking at that wet weather just around the trick-or-treating hour. It's still a few days out and still quite unsettled for Thursday, Friday. And I couldn't help it, but I needed to show this. This is your trick-or-treating <laughs> forecast so far. The graphic is fantastic. It'll hopefully make you laugh and distract you from the rain that we could potentially see on Wednesday. But uh, stay tuned. We'll see how our house. Halloween forecast shapes up. Back to you. Thank you. Very clever. I love how you did that. And he looks great. All right. It's the last weekend for a popular golf course in Lake Country. That is not because of the weather, but possibly forever. It is the local school district there that has bought the land for use as soccer fields. As Global's uh, Jules Knox now reports, the golfers there pretty upset. There's a bit of a hollow uh, in the community and in my life if this golf course is not here. Richard Isler is teeing up for the last time at Lake Country's Aspen Grove Golf Course. I hope I don't cry. Last round. Golfers say many laughs, many memories have been shared on this course. My children learned how to golf here. I taught my wife how to golf here. It's a huge part of my life is going to be gone. I mean, I come here almost every day. So for 30 years, it's been a fixture. But the golf course is closing. The school district bought the land and wants to use it as soccer fields. Golfers say it's a loss for the community. It's cheap, it's easy to walk, it's close, and it doesn't take too long. I mean, it's four big reasons right there. So Isler started a petition collecting hundreds of signatures in support of the golf course. The benefits. If He's also given the school district a proposal suggesting options to turn the property into a multi-use facility with soccer fields and a golf course. They could offer horticulture classes to the students to maintain the golf course. They could open up the restaurant and offer uh, food service and small business management classes. Well, if they have to do something, I would like to see them, you know, even try to do something like a six-hole course just to use part of it. I mean, people will still come out. The school district did not respond to multiple requests for an interview and wouldn't confirm whether or not the fate of the golf course is sealed. As for these golfers, they're still holding out hope. It's a form of torture that I really like. They've been playing for 30 years and I never, never broke par, never got a hole in one, but still keep coming. Yeah. And Hall hopes the school district will make a decision that gives him a chance to break that par in the future. Jules Knox, Global News, Lake Country. All right. One of my favorite lines is, how will you miss me if I don't go away? 
I always miss you when you are away. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. I was like thinking of Alfonso Davies oh, okay. and like what he did today. <laughs> you know what? What a swan song for him. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of people just were hoping to go out and see him play one last time, but instead they were dazzled by the teenager. Uh, thanks, Sonia. Yeah, it's been quite the ride for Alfonso Davies over the past three years. He joined the Whitecaps family 20, in 2015, eventually making his MLS debut a couple of years ago. Today, the 17-year-old bid farewell to Vancouver and Whitecaps fans as he heads to one of the biggest football clubs in the world, Bayern Munich. The teen star dazzling everyone this afternoon in his final game in a Whitecaps kit. Could summarize his Must have been an emotional walk down the tunnel. His last uh, chance at dressing up and then walking out onto the pitch. And you know what? It didn't take long. 28th minute from center. He goes all the way and then the left-footed rocket. A world-class strike. But watch after he scores. You can sense, you can see a lot of emotion on that face as he realizes this is it. His family in the stands. And it would get better for him just a couple of minutes after that. Brett Levi's, the fellow Canadian with the cross, and Davies with the finish. Can you believe that? Two goals in under four minutes, and the crowd was loving that. 2-0 at the break, and it really was a party for the Whitecaps fans there because they came to see number 67. Um, here it looks like he's taken down hard, but he would be okay. A bit of a scary moment, but no concern as he gets back up and takes a bit of a knock, but he was okay. 77th minute. The last thing he needed to do in a Whitecaps uniform was score a hat-trick. He had several chances, but he couldn't get the shot off there. 86th minute, it comes to an end in Vancouver. The fans saluted him. Throughout the game, he would salute them back. A historic Canadian moment in soccer. His parents looking on there. Davies gets subbed on by Langley's Simon Coline. Maybe the next Alfonso Davies, and he... Shows that a minute later, he almost scores his first goal on his first touch in MLS. The 16-year-old looking to crack the roster, main roster next year. Portland adds a late one. Vancouver wins this one, finishes 13-13-8 on the season. But it was all about Alfonso Davies as his career comes to a close in Vancouver. Yeah, um, before the season... Uh, I set a goal to get a hat trick, but fortunately I didn't. I didn't manage to get it. Um, but yeah, uh, going into the game, I just wanted to, you know, perform, and me scoring two goals was a bonus. Yeah, um, you know, I'm disappointed. Uh, my time is finishing at Vancouver. You know, they've done so much for me. But um, I think in the off season, I'll just go back and you know look at my career here, and just try to take it take it all in before before I go. After starting the season 0-2, the Seahawks were able to claw back their way to 3-3 going into their bye week. Today, Seattle with a chance to go over the 500 mark for the first time this season in Detroit. A win putting the Hawks right back into wild card contention. Matt Patricia, Patricia with the uh, best sporting coaching beard in the league. Had his uh, Lions coming into this one with two straight wins. Great start for Detroit. Matt Stafford finds Marvin Jones Jr. for 39 yards, 7-0 after the first. Seattle would take over in the second quarter. 
Russell Wilson, the perfect touch to Tyler Lockett in the end zone. What a great grab as he stays in bounds 7-7. Now in the ensuing kickoff, Amir Abdullah, who's had trouble in the past holding onto the ball, he loses it. Seattle recovers and is in great position, and it didn't take long for the Hawks to capitalize. Wilson to David Moore, who makes a juggling catch. His first career NFL touchdown is something he'll talk about for a long time. Off his helmet, hands, and seven. 14-7 for Seattle. More from Wilson. Third touchdown pass of the half to Ed Dixon, who was activated for this game. Great catch. Amazing celebration. The pitcher hits the batter, and here comes the batter, but the pitcher takes care of him. Nicely choreographed. Seattle defense, solid. An interception, three sacks, including this one by Shamar Stefan, getting through to Stafford. And then in the fourth, Seattle would put it away. Chris Carson, a seven-yard run. He had 105 yards on 25 carries. The running back, the running game for Seattle is back. 176 team yards on the ground. Now, you know you're having a good day when this happens to the punter. Watch Michael Dixon. Deep in his end zone, he's... About to give up the safety inside. Instead, he realizes he's got room, so he comes out, grabs the first down. What a heads-up play by the punter. Seattle, 28-14. They will host the Chargers next week down at Century Lane. Welcome back, everyone. After getting smacked around last night by the Penguins, the Canucks practice today, but no Anders Nielsen on the ice. The uh, goalie is dealing with a fractured finger is expected to miss about uh, two or three weeks. The team recalled uh, Richard Bachman from Utica while sending down Darren Archibald to the Comets. Now the Canucks also announcing Alex Edler will miss three to six weeks as he deals with an MCL sprain and Chris Tanev is listed day-to-day with an undisclosed injury. Vancouver host Minnesota tomorrow night at Rogers Arena. Last night, Brock Besser, Elias Pettersson back from injuries, hoping they can get back on the scoring train soon. Uh, Jacob Markstrom putting on pretty good performance despite allowing five goals in this game, uh, stopping Evgeny Malkin. Sidney Crosby with a couple in this game. Nice uh, three-way passing there. And then later, it's Malkin setting up Daniel Sprong, who gets robbed, but Malkin would... Hang out at the side of the net. He would score two in this one. Canucks lose 5-0 to the Pens. Uh, I really liked our first period, though. You know, I, I thought we came out fast and, and uh, spent a lot of time in their zone. Uh, you know, but at the end of the day, you got to find a way to put a puck in the back of the net. Uh, I thought Petey had, you know, he could have had two in the first period. Pedersen back in the lineup as you Today, uh, the Kootenai Ice losing f- uh, 8-5 to Red Deer at home. Kamloops leading 2-0 down in Portland, while the uh, Vancouver Giants uh, 3-2 shootout winners at home against Brandon. Leighton Kershaw and the Dodgers facing elimination tonight. World Series Game 5. First inning, Steve Pierce, the hero from last night, a two-run shot, giving Boston an early 2-0 lead. Bottom of first, David Fries taking his... First offering from David Price, taken out of the yard. 2-1 in the fifth. Uh, Boston looking to lock things up tonight. 
Back to the NFL, best team in the league, facing perhaps the best quarterback. Rams versus Aaron Rodgers and the pack. First quarter, Rodgers, nice touch here to Devontae Adams. 133 yards in the game for Adams. This would lead to a one-yard score from Jamal Williams. 10-8 Green Bay at the half, but here comes the Rams. Todd Gurley, 30-yard dash. Two-pointer is good. It was 16-13 for the Rams. And then Goff finds Josh Reynolds. 23-13. They are a high-octane offense, but so is Green Bay when they want to. Rodgers to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Packers lead 27-26. L.A. gets a field goal to take the lead, but then this happens. Ty Montgomery decides to run it out of the end zone. Bad idea. He fumbles. L.A. recovers. Rodgers doesn't see the field again. L.A. 8-0, Green Bay 3-3-1. Patrick Mahomes, the early candidate for MVP. Chiefs 6-1 taking on the Broncos. Mahomes to Sammy Watkins. His fifth game this season where he throws for four touchdowns. Now, before the end of the half, Case Keenum finds Tim Patrick in the end zone. That would cut the lead to 16-14 to for KC. But the Chiefs take control. Watch Kareem Hunt hurdle his way to a touchdown. Look at that. Just no regard for defenders. Chiefs are the best team in the AFC. They sit at 7-1 after a 30-23 win. EPL action, Chelsea at Burnley. We'll pick it up in the 22nd minute. Ross Barkley to Alvaro Morato. Morata makes no mistake. Barkley this time decides to try his luck from outside. Nice shot as he finds the low post. 2-0 and then it's Will I and William making some moves. 3-0 is your final. Chelsea, seven wins. Three draws. They are undefeated this season. All right, finally tonight, we pay tribute to an amazing soccer player who you were talking about, of course, earlier, off to Bayern Munich. Uh, here's our Tanya Beja with details, details of Alfonso Davies' big send-off and why we are all going to miss him so much. Inside on Lawrence Olam and leaves him for dead. Whitecaps fans could not have asked for a better parting gift. Two goals from winger Alfonso Davies in his final game in Vancouver. From his debut, he's grown so much and I'm very proud of him. He's an amazing player. He's top talent and I'm really happy for him that he's going to Bayern. I think he's the best player and I want to be just like him when I'm older. Vancouver. You took me in when I was just a kid. The 17-year-old soccer star joined the Whitecaps residency at 14 becoming arguably the best player the team has ever produced and one of Canada's top talents. As Davies gets ready to join Germany's Bayern Munich, he credits the Whitecaps for helping him grow. I couldn't thank them more, you know, for pushing me every day in training and also, you know, off the field as well, teach me, you know, all the, all the professional habits. Davies' success is a far cry from his humble beginnings. His parents fled war in Liberia, settling in a refugee camp in Ghana where Davies was born. The family moved to Edmonton where Davies eventually wowed soccer scouts. His parents joining him at BC Place Sunday as he led the Whitecaps to victory. They just said they're proud of me. Congratulations. My mom tried to pick me up, but I'm a big boy now. I'm not her little baby anymore. <laughs> For the young fans and aspiring players Davies leaves behind in Vancouver, he offers some advice. If you get the opportunity to play the game, you know, many people don't.
But if you get the opportunity to play a game, just play with a smile on your face. Um, enjoy every moment you have on the field. These have been the best three years of my life. Tanya Beja, Global News. Oh, great story, though. But you know what? That's not the last time uh, we'll see him at BC Place because when he plays for Canada, okay. expect expect uh, BC Place to hold potential qualifying games. So that's not the last we've seen of Alfonso Davies in, at BC Place. Well, we wish him lots of mm. luck in his uh, in his new role at Bayern Munich, uh, making us all very proud. Thank you very much for watching. We'll be back next weekend. Good night. <laughs>